1: For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
2: Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not you collect information filling out your own photo album and you're keeping track of all the characters there's romance there's scandalous family secrets it feels like a really fun play or movie and i've only made it through like five scenes but i am told you could crack the case All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This week, an episode that first premiered in April of 2012, it's an episode we call Your Attention, Please.
0: May I have your attention,
1: please?
2: Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is the Harry Brewer Orchestra behind me now. And this is Penises and Buttholes. Penises and buttholes, penises and buttholes, penises and buttholes. Mm. Yeah, my friend JC wrote the lyrics to that one. Uh, quite concise, but boy do I love that imagery. Mm. Today's episode is called Your Attention, Please. And that's because all the stories in it somehow logically fit in a program titled Your Attention, Please. (laughs) These are all live stories today. All stories from our live shows in New York and Los Angeles. We're going to start with a hero of mine, uh, someone who was a real inspiration for this very show's existence. Uh, This is Margot Lightman. She is the host of the fantabulous show... I, why did I say that? Uh, stripped Stories. And you can find her at Margolightman.com. Here's Margot at our show in Los Angeles. We call this one Almost Famous. <laughs>
3: Uh, All right, so I'm going to tell a story about fourth grade fourth grade I was in a musical group called the Jersey girls. Thank you (laughs) because we were from New Jersey and and girls and um, the group was basically it was two people me uh, and this girl amanda and i really needed amanda in my group because unlike me who was five foot six in fourth grade uh and like an unattractive thin do you know what i mean when a girl is skinny but it's gross like olive oil or mackenzie phillips like that um and my mom I, i just wasn't cool like my mom made me homemade jams it was just not so i needed amanda because she was very normal size she was very tan she was very pretty and she could basically sing good enough. Unlike me, I couldn't sing at all. But I was the brains and the business behind the duo. I did all the work. I was essentially uh, Simon to her Garfunkel. Like, I needed her because she was a little bit more attractive and she could sing better. But like in the end, I was going to have a better career. So um, I wrote all the songs, including our two uh, sleeper hits, which were uh, In Love With A Star, which was written about, about Growing Pains' Kirk Cameron. and. <laughs> our other sleeper hit, I Don't Even Know What Love Is, which kind of counteracted the meaning of in love with a star. Uh, And we used to go to her house every day after school and practice our songs and record them on our Fisher Price tape recorder in her bedroom. And this was a routine about five days a week every day. And I was like, you know what? Like my clock is ticking. Debbie Gibson is 15 and she is touring the country wearing funky hats. She is a millionaire. Like my time is coming. So let's go, let's make a business plan. Let's move forward here. You know, let's get out of the bedroom. So, uh, I'm starting to get antsy. So, I leave Amanda's house one day and I'm like, I'm going to write a, another a big hit for us. A big hit that's going to take us to the next level. So, I go into my bedroom and I hit the Mead notebook paper and I start writing. And I write a song that I have to say I think was really good. Like the lyrics were really really good, but the problem is that I had virtually zero musical talent. So, I didn't have any melodies. So, then a stroke of genius I decide that I'm gonna steal the melody from Wham's Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, and I'm just gonna set my lyrics to it and hope that nobody notices. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll sing the song now, it went. And I'd be thinking of you. Oh, I just can't bear it, but I know it's true. And you'd be thinking of me. Oh, I know it, I know it, I can't see. And we'd be singing this same song. Oh, I know it, I know it, but I wish I wasn't wrong. Listen, boy, and listen well. I don't want them to know, so don't tell, wake me up. Before you go-go. I mean, it was Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. It's just this different lyric. And I was like, I'm amazing. That song came out like three years ago. Nobody will ever remember it. I'm going to be famous. So I bring it to her at school the next day. And I'm like, check it out sing it for her and she's like this is amazing and I don't know if she knew I stole it or not I also think she didn't care so she's like we have to take it to Mr. Fervor he's got a lot of really big time connections in the mu- music industry and Mr. Fervor was our band teacher who seemed continuously disappointed in my life choices because I, in the, that year it was only like the second month of school I had got, gone from flute to clarinet to sitting out in band so I really needed to impress him so we go to Mr. Mr. Fervor and we sing this song for him and he was like, wow, girls, that's amazing. You wrote that? And we are both nodding furiously and I'm looking at her like, wow, you're really anxious to take credit for a song that I have both stolen and slaved over. But she takes credit for it, which is fine, because I'm going to drop her when I get famous. And so he goes, well, you know, I'm going to work on the piano accompaniment for this. I have an idea, girls, why don't you uh, practice this and we'll put it up in the school and town assembly. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Because in my head, that was where the big time agents were going to (laughs) come and I was going to get discovered. I was going to get a record deal. Somebody would fly in and see me and somebody would freaking notice me finally. So I'm so excited about this. And as we're walking out, he was like, girls you know, you might want to look into copywriting this bad boy. You know, a song this good could get stolen. And we walked out, and I was like, that's a good idea. I went home from school. I discussed it with my mother. And my mother and I, over the next week, she helped me copyright with the U.S. Bureau of (laughs) Copyrights. a song I had stolen from Wham. And she, I copyrighted Wake Me Up Before You Go Go as my own legally, and I'm in fourth grade. And so I have like documentation. I also cut Amanda out of it. I kept cutting her out, it's a horrible business partner. And I copyrighted it as my own. And, um, and my mother helped me. And so it started to get closer and closer to the assembly. And I start entertaining the thought of the two greatest possible scenarios that are going to happen, which is one, I'm going to do it in the assembly. There's going to be a big music mogul in the audience. They're going to discover me. They're going to say, you know, you're going to be the next Debbie Gibson. She's too old. You're going to be a star. Cut out, Amanda. I've noticed you. There's something special about you. You've got talent. And option two was an equally appealing scenario, which was getting caught. Oh my god. Because if I got caught, then everyone would know noticed me, and everyone would care, and everyone would be talking, and maybe I'd be on the front page of the newspaper of like, scandal, cheater, liar, thief. And for some reason, that attention was equally fabulous to me. So it was a win-win. Everyone would know who I am. Either way, my life is about to change. And so we go in to sing the song, and Mr. Fervor is accompanying us, and he's like, please welcome the Jersey girls. And we come out to minor applause, and he starts playing furiously, like, Elton John in the 70s. I mean, it was amazing. He was playing with such heart. And so Amanda and I start doing it. And I remember the routine. It was, uh, it was step, touch, sway, repeat. Step, <laughs> touch. So, so we're singing the song and doing like, don't want them to know. I mean, what's you know what's in the wake me up before you go go? That that dance routine. I swear it was the same dance routine. So we're just doing the same thing, and and I'm like waiting for the uproarious applause. And as it it's over, it's just for the school, and the school kind of moderately claps nobody seems to care and I'm like well they're jealous they're obviously jealous of my talent and the other thing that's going on here is that this is this is this is peanuts I mean this is daytime I have a nighttime performance (laughs) for the town this is where it's gonna happen this is practice don't worry about it so that night I'm getting ready in my room for the big town assembly and I'm so excited I put on my best outfit my matching peach sweatsuit I'm ready to go and I come downstairs ready for the assembly and my my father's watching the game and my mom's like what are you doing i'm like the the assembly i'm singing my hit tonight i'm singing i'm singing thinking of you don't you remember my mother's like oh yeah my dad's like well well, there's a game on so my dad's not even coming and i'm like where's my brother and they're like we don't know like he's not coming nobody's coming and i have to fight with my mother to even come. like nobody cares and so my mom's like all right i'll go i'll take you so she takes me to the assembly and i'm ready and i'm backstage and i'm like your life is about to change You're going to be like the biggest villain or the biggest star. But from this day forward, you're not going to be invisible anymore. Someone is going to pay attention to you. It's going to be amazing. And I'm backstage, and I'm so excited. And they go, please welcome the Jersey girls. Again, very moderate applause. And we come out, step, touch, sway, repeat, step, touch, sway, repeat. And we sing the whole song. And I know that somebody out there is going to discover me. And then it ends. And I'm ready for option one, which is a applause and someone for stan- to stand up in the audience, like in that scene in Back to the Future where they're like, hey, this is a new sound we've been looking for. And I'm waiting for that moment, but still kind of moderate applause. And then I'm waiting for someone else, like the Wild West to stand up and be like, cheater, liar, and then that doesn't happen. And then I look and then I'm trying to find my mother out in the audience, because my mother cried. I mean, she cried at every greeting card I've ever given her, every everything. And I look out into the audience and my mother, who had previously, the day before, cried at an episode of Laverne and Shirley, I look out and I see her dry eyes, sort of just clapping moderately. And everyone is sort of just politely clapping. There was a third option that I didn't think could happen, which is that no one would care. I mean, no one cared that I wrote the song no one cared that I stole the song no one wanted to make me famous no one no one cared that I was I was cheating my way to the top no one cared that I legally copyrighted a song written by George Michael no one was impressed and no one cared and it was the most devastating feeling and then after the show my mom was like hey good job I guess. I mean, great job. Do you want to go to Friendly's? And I was like, we always go to Friendly's. Like, I thought that night I would be going to Sardi's or something amazing. (laughs) And so she takes me to Friendly's, and I'm sitting in this Friendly in Blue Collar, New Jersey, where I grew up, and... and The waitress comes over, who's been working there for 20 years, who has like eight foster kids, and she comes over, and she's talking to us about her kids, and I'm thinking, is this what my life's gonna be like? It's never gonna get any better than this. And my mother orders me the usual, the clown sundae, which really isn't a clown, it's just an upside-down ice cream cone, which occurred to me that (laughs) night. And I'm eating this, and it's so sad, and we pull in, and and my mom just goes as we pull into the driveway, good job, and we walk in, and my life stayed exactly the same. And then, about a year ago, I was thinking about this story and writing about it, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell my mom. I'm going to tell my mom I stole it because she was an accomplice to, to copywriting this song. I'm going to tell her. I'm going to come clean. So I'm on the phone with her. I go, Mom, remember in fourth grade when I wrote that song and I copyrighted it and I sang it in the school assembly? And my mom's like, what? Sort of, vaguely. And I was like, well, I want you to know that uh, I stole it, Mom. I stole it from Wham. It was just Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. I'm so sorry, I've kept it in all these years, but I stole the song. My mom goes, Margo, I don't care. And then she finishes it off with, she goes, Margo, no one cares. (laughs) Thank you. thinking of you. Oh, I just can't bear it, but I know it's true. And you'd be thinking of me. Oh, I know what hey, I know, it hey. I can't see. And we'd be singing the same song. Oh, I know what I know, but I wish I was wrong. Listen more and
0: listen well. I don't want them to know, so don't tell. I think.
2: This is risk. We put the boom boom into your heart, do we not? All right. Next up, we're going to do two stories, two stories in a row. Second one's going to come from our beloved David Crabb, who is a teacher at the story studio. And the first one's going to come from me. This will be the first time that I feature a story on the show that is actually um, from the family vaults. A story that is often retold by various storytellers within my family. One of those kind of tales. Speaking of tales, remember this? Penises and buttholes, penises and buttholes, penises and bugs. Great times back on hosting segment (laughs) one. Just listen to that. (laughs) Uh, hosting Segment 2 has been like a funeral in comparison. Now that I think of it, it it's just, it's unnerving how superior Hosting Segment 1 was. <sighs> hosting Segment 2. But let's just put you out of our misery already. It's time to just cut our losses and get the fuck out of this not- as much fun as the last one. Hosting segment. So here I am at the Risk Show in New York with a story we call The Exhibitionist. And I think we can all just breathe a sigh of relief now that that is the end of hosting segment two. (laughs) Every family has a a bunch of stories that they break out every time they're all together, right? Uh, They tell them and they retell them and everyone's got different versions They they disagree about the details and this is one that comes from my clan. Uh, I come from a long line of assless men uh my father his father uh, his brothers their sons my brothers we if you if you look at my backside you will see that i don't so much have a ballast there as what i prefer to call a lack thereof and I used to be rather concerned about this but one year when I was in high school my mother and my father and I we went to Edisto South Carolina which is a place that is it's very rare that you still find these places in America where there's actually more locals there than there are tourists you know it's still very quiet and it's very 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 southern Uh, people are very salt of the earth there so Once we arrived in Edisto, it's about 1988, I'm about 18 years old, uh, we we were starving. So we wanted to go to a restaurant right off the beach, and we got in there, and we were like, oh my God, everyone had the same idea today, because the place was packed. So the hostess kind of wedges us into the middle of this completely packed restaurant. Now my father is a very fat man. And he always has been, you know. He loves his beer, Uh, he loves the fat on the edges of the steak more than the steak. (laughs) And people always think of him as kind of being a little bit like Santa Claus only with a red beard. So we wedge in there and he's just kind of you know, getting it because he's right behind him. There's this little girl, about a 12 year old girl in a wheelchair. So he's kind of bumping up against her and wedging down into a seat. And then as soon as we're seated, dad has to stand up again. He's like, "Oh God damn it. I just have to get this sweatshirt off. So he wedges himself back up and hits the girl in the wheelchair again. And he starts trying to get this sweatshirt off. What was too tight on him with his big bulbous belly and he starts yanking around at it and as he starts this process, I begin to notice that he's taking the white undershirt that's underneath the sweatshirt up along with the sweatshirt, right? So my mom starts going, up, uh, Paul, 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 and he's just like, God, oh, shut up, Carol, i am just got to take this sweatshirt off, and he's pulling it up, and more and more of his belly is being exposed, and then many things happened within the next few seconds. He's pulling and pulling and finally he does manage to get it up around his face but it gets stuck there. Now he's kind of blindfolded himself and he's managed to kind of tangle his arms above his head too. So his belly is sticking out there in the middle of the restaurant for everyone to see and he just starts like thrashing around like some sort of alien monster with tentacles and everyone and everyone's looking like, what on earth is going on? And with all the thrashing and wriggling, my dad must have temporarily forgot that a belt is not very useful for an assless man. In our case, you really are only safe with suspenders. But dad always hated suspenders. So while he's wriggling around and my mom's like, Paul, Paul, and he's like, God damn it, Carol, I just gotta get this off. His shorts hit the ground. And he's got these old, old fruit of the loom tidy whities. They're all stretched out and full of holes. So he's standing there in the middle of the restaurant like blindfolded wearing nothing now but his shoes and his underwear and everyone's looking and the man that there's a man at the table with the the girl in the wheelchair. Now this guy was pure southern like hardcore like not a very chipper guy right. He just jumps up and he's like what the hell is going on here. Now, in fairness, it did appear that my dad was starting a dominant and submissive scene right there in the middle of lunch. But my mom and I jump up. We're like, this is an accident. It's an accident. And my dad starts to realize what's going on. And he just quickly, I've never seen him move so quickly as this. gets his shorts up and his shirt back down and he wedges himself back into a seat. And then all three of us just kind of start staring at our plates like we're going to learn something there. (laughs) And (laughs) we realized that the man behind us was still standing, still making sure that this is really and truly over. And then he sits down. And it was just clear that no one in the restaurant thought that this was at all funny, which is why the three of us thought it was hilarious. We spend like the next half hour just in tears, our stomachs hurting because we're trying to stifle this laughter for the longest time because we know it's annoying the people around us. But we just couldn't help it. So it gives me a special satisfaction to tell this story tonight because, you know, my mom, she has a version of this story. And my dad, he has a version of this story, and I always have to defend my version. But of the three of us, I'm the one with a podcast. (laughs) Thank you.
4: Uh, I had just lost my job as a bartender, and it was kind of the last straw for me. Um, I had had many endeavors that I started in my 20s and early 30s um, that went unfulfilled. I was a photographer for a while, but I became sick of the isolation and the chemicals. Um, I was an actor, but I got sick of begging for approval as a profession. Um, and then I was an electronic musician, but I decided that I hated my computer, which just was the death knoll if you're looking to be the next Daft Punk, it's just never going to happen. So when I lost this job, it sucked, because like having failed ambitions is one thing, but not making money to survive is another. I went home and uh, my boyfriend uh, was totally being supportive and he's like, you know, you know just, just, just get on Craigslist and look around, you can find something to do. So I would get on Craigslist and I would search, but in like 30 minutes I'd get really bored and I would just end up in that disgusting anything goes section where there was like people that want you to come and smell their farts, awful things. Um, and I just sort of felt rudderless and lost. Um, about a week and a half into this, Uh, we lived in this huge four-story house that we shared with some people in Williamsburg right by the East River. And uh, my boyfriend comes from upstairs um, and he says, uh, David, there's something horrid in the basement. And I say, okay. (laughs) So we go down to our basement and our basement is like one of these unfinished basements. It's like a dirt floor and these waterlogged rafters. It looks like where you would wake up at the beginning of like a Saw movie. Um, and I look in the middle of this dirt floor and there is this black dot. It's so matte, it almost looks like negative space. Like, it's like a hole you could reach through in the space-time continuum. And as I look at this black dot, all of a sudden this tiny green eye opens, and then this horrible dry pink mouth opens, and it lets out this... As I realize this thing is a fucked up kitten, It opens its other eye, and you know how cats have that inner lid that's kind of white? It doesn't open, so it just has this disgusting white, like, milk eye on one eye. And it goes to hiss again, and then it, like, out from the circle of its body, this one terrifying paw reaches out, and it starts to claw itself away from us, the whole time looking back going... It was disgusting and terrifying and on top of all that, I'm totally allergic to cats. Like, <laughs> nosebleeds, rashes in my beard, like the worst, right? So we don't know what to do. So we, we, uh, we wrap this, this little kitten in a towel and we borrow a crate from a friend and we like throw the whole ball in there, like good luck kitten. Um, we take it upstairs and we lock the, ki- the cage and over the next few days, we kind of hang out with this weird black cat. I'm at home a lot and I start to sort of like the cat and- spend more time with the cat, and I spend less time on Craigslist because the cat needs a lot of things. Uh, The cat needs to be pet often, often, much like babies need skin-to-skin contact. Little deformed kittens, they need to be pet. And then I realize it needs to be fed milk through a dropper, but it really likes heavy cream so I switch over to that. And then because it can't get away from its poop, because it's crippled and can't walk, it needs bat. I gave the cat like seven baths a day uh, in a warm water in the sink, and then I would put it, and then it, it couldn't just be wet, so then I had to get the hair dryer, but I would put the little diffuser attachment on, and then I would blow dry the cat, and it would just go with its weird gimp and its weird one-working, Prow, Prow, like the fan blowing on it. It was like a kitten spa, really, is what I was setting up in my house. So we take this kitten to the vet, and the vet looks at it and says, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but um, this, this cat has uh, lateral threading in its eye, and that means that it basically has right side paralysis. It's right eye, right leg, right both legs. They're, they're never gonna work. If you wanna try, kittens can bounce back, give it a go. And boy, did I. I was going to, I was like the miracle worker. This was like my Helen Keller, my little feline uh, problem to solve. So we take the cat home and I, I, we tell our housemate, oh my God, you have to come see the kitten. And he's very nonchalant about everything. And he looks at the kitten and he says, oh my God, it looks like the puppet from head. <laughs> but it was beautiful to me. Um, so we had this Oscar party. We would had the cat now about four weeks and um, I was very excited for all our friends to come over uh, because no one had seen me. Cause all I did was stay at home, depressed with no job helping this cat. So they came over and it was so disturbing because over and over again this is what would happen. There was a sheet over her crate, and as someone would come up, I'd be like, "Jennifer, come here," and I'd lift the sheet, and they would go, "Oh my, oh my God!" Over and over again, it was like I had the ugliest baby in the world. I was lifting the hood of my stroller. To, oh God, cover that thing. So we took the uh, the kitten back to the vet and. Uh, she said, look, this is not going well. I, I don't think this kitten's ever going to walk, and I think you should put her down before you get any more attached. I said, no, we're going to make this work. We're going to make it work. So on the way out, um, the receptionist there said, you know, I just heard you talking to the doctor, and I do physical therapy for these, like, Upper East Side bitches who, like, roll over their dog's legs with their Rolls Royces and shit, so then they have to get metal legs, become, like, robot dogs. And, you know... <laughs> (laughs) we do physical therapy and I can probably show you some things. I was like, yes, do that right now. So she takes Mare out of her little cage and she lays the the kitten on her lap and then she's like, you could pedal her front paws like this and then you could take her back paws and then you can do a diagonal. Grab the left front and the back right and you can just pedal. (laughs) The whole time she's doing this, the kitten is just laid out on her lap with a dead oracle eye, like glazed over, the tongue hanging out. So... I take this cat home and I'm obsessed, like I'm going to make the cat better. So I, nonstop, I'm doing the physical therapy, she's getting 10 baths a day, I'm blow drying her, no job, bank account. <laughs> My amazing boyfriend, Jack, is like spending now the hundreds, getting to be thousands of dollars on veterinary care over and over these, these trips. So, um, you know, I really, really want this cat to be better and um, at a certain point um, we have to uh, talk to my housemate because I'm gonna be away for a while so I'm like Shane can you please make sure the cat's okay and he's like and I call him on the phone and he answers and he says well I don't know how to tell if she's okay she looks like she's been smashed by a truck all the time anyway okay now now At one point, it just gets really bad. And um, Mare, now by the way, her name is Mare, and I would tell people, oh, Mare, like a little black horse. I was lying. I was in such a low place that I was sitting drunk in my underwear drinking whiskey with her on my lap, watching like 10 hours of Battlestar Galactica with a tear in my eye when I literally said out loud to the room of no one, you're like my miracle. That's her name, Miracle. That's what I named a fucking cat at the lowest point in my life, Miracle. I meant Mare, like a horse. So, at a certain point, I, I found out that I have to go to Texas to visit my family, so uh, I'm really bummed and uh, to leave the cat, and Jack said, I'm gonna take care of her, and I go home, and like three days later, he calls me, and he's like, David, I have some news. I'm like, what? He says, Mare walked. I was like, well, what do you mean she walked? And he's like, she walked, so the next four days of my trip, I just can't wait to get home. My mom is trying to make me dinners and have conversation. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know, I just wanna get home to Miracle. I meant Mare, Mare, like a horse. So I finally get back home and I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, "Um, well, instead of surrounding her with uh, her food and warm towels in the microwave and coddling her nonstop, I put her food in front of her and when she reached for it, I pulled it away a little bit and then I did it the next time a little further. Turns out eventually she got hungry enough, the bitch walked. It was great that she walked, but then the new problem began. You know, She was about two months old at this point, and um, even though she walked, we called her drunky instead of Mary at this point because it was just a constant kind of like clumping over on the floor and losing her balance. But the problem is that once she could walk around, she could cover a lot more space. She could lay all over the couch. She could lay all over the bed. She could lay on my pillow. She could get on my clothes. And i became just this explosive snot bomb i started to have nosebleeds and have get welts and we would wake up every morning and my eyes were like crusted shut and i would just like it was a race to get out of the house like mayor i love you but i have to leave and at a certain point uh jack told me he's like you know we we can't keep this cat we, we have to find this cat at home and i knew he was right and we looked around and we found the, the kit in a new home. And the night that we went there, it was a two block walk, but it took like 40 minutes because I just kept hearing her and her carrier and I would just like stop and brace a wall and just like sob for a little while. It was so awful. And then we finally get to this person's house and it's like on the fourth floor of a building and we walk in and I immediately become crazy. Like I'm like, this is the third floor. Is Are there no screens on that window? There has to be screens on that window. And oh my God, is that a bag of Cheetos? If they eat that kind of food, what are they going to feed her? They should go organic. If they... I just start to go crazy. And the whole time I see my boyfriend Jack standing watching me the way like the lawyer of a crazy person watches them like just like as long as we can get through the ruling you know what i mean and he's watching me like just terrified and uh i didn't tell him though about the dvd that i had made i I reached into my pocket and right when we were about to leave i handed the dvd to the uh, new owner of the cat and i said i just made a collection of photographs photographs of Mare when they said she wouldn't live because I want you to know how special she is. And I looked at Jack and he was like, abort, abort, abort. Like I was like, get the fuck out. (laughs) He takes me and we leave and you know, we leave her there. And the next few days were horrible. I just like cried all the time. At one point I was like drunk in my underwear again with whiskey being like, I don't even have a job and I don't have an animal that I formed a connection with. I was just like a crazy person. (laughs) But over the next few weeks, I actually got out more and I saw friends who I forgot that I hadn't even seen. And I did get a job and I got this awesome job working as an on-camera host for this environmental fund, um, interviewing bands. They flew me to like Bonnaroo and they flew me to South by Southwest. And I got to interview the Flaming Lips and it was so awesome until I got fired three months later. Hey, but some beginnings are just false starts because that next uh, Oscar party after the one where I showed everyone Rosemary's baby and they were terrified. I was with my dear friend, Cammie, and um, we were talking, and we were like, you know, we both felt the same way, rudderless lost. and we are like, you know, let's get into storytelling, and we did. And I've been doing that ever since, and I've been writing the way that I told myself when I was younger, I was gonna write, and I never did. And, you know, this, this beginning is kind of gonna stick. Not long ago, the owner of the cat sent me this email, and he, I didn't even know he had my email. I hadn't talked to him in years, and he was like, I just want you to know that Mare is still doing great. He, they kept the name, they apparently don't know what it really means. Um, <laughs> And he's like, and I wanted to send you these pictures. And he attached this zip file of all these pictures of her since he's had her. Totally healthy and full-grown land journal. Still a little, like, with the genpai on the one side, but, but, but doing great, you know? And looking at the pictures that occurred to me, like, I always thought, like, she was my false start. I was her false start, you know what I mean? Like, I was just, like, she was just passing through, going to this awesome place where people could love her without needing, like, an EpiPen, you know what I mean? So. I think at the end, you know, I don't think you should feel bad about new beginnings. And maybe you have a lot of false starts, but you should never, ever regret them, especially if you're a deformed little kitten that looks like a puppet from a racer head. Thank you. <laughs>
3: You can see my pussy. Pussy, pussy, my pussy, 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 pussy
2: Let's, uh, let's just get our bearings again here, all right? Let's take a moment of reflection to review where we've been, not just sally forth into the noonday sun without a respectful glance back upon the road we've traveled. We just heard a track by Jeff Barr, little collage there called Felis Catus. Before that, someone very dear to us, someone who is one of us, <laughs> who works for the show and for the story studio, David Crabb, with a story we call Meerkat Manor. Before that, a song by Evan voitis called Feel Me, and this is Sean Lee behind me now. That's all she wrote, gang. This is, of course, the latest from the shins behind me now. Don't forget our unbeatable, unbeatable deal with AdamandEve.com. Now, you know you need condoms and lube at the very least. Might as well throw in something to shove up the old wazoo. That way you can save your vegetables for the casserole. Go to AdamandEve.com type in the offer code R-I-S-K at the checkout. You get 50% off just about any item, three free adult DVDs, free shipping, and an extra surprise. What's the offer code? R-I-S-K. Please review us on iTunes. Leave your comments there. And help us to get others to review us. We've been asking fans to tweet to rolling stone at rolling stone to entertainment weekly at ew and to the new york times at nyt underscore arts tell them they can find us at risk show.com and use the hashtag review risk on facebook and twitter we are at risk show in our shop at risk-show.com, you will find our all-star episodes with Sarah Silverman, Mark Marin, Kevin Nealon, Nick Swardson, Lisa Lampanelli, Samantha B, Michael Ian Black, Paul F. Tompkins, and more. Now, don't forget we are an indie podcast. We rely on the help of our fans to keep all this going. So if you go to risk-show.com and scroll down on the right-hand side, see a little guy filling a gas tank, it says keep risk running. That's where you can donate to us, help us out. What else can you do? You can pitch us stories. Tips are at the submissions page at risk-show.com. Finally, learn all about our workshops on storytelling, advanced storytelling, storytelling, performance, and storytelling for your team or your career at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Penises and buttholes, penises and buttholes, penises and (laughs)
1: buns.